Hello and welcome to another Quarren stream. I am your host, Joe Magician, and today we'll be talking about the worst, or at least tied for worst person beyond the wall with Veramir, the worst six skins, and that is, of course, Craster, a daughter-wiving servant of the cold gods that meets his righteous end during a very, very odd mutiny. Something I'll be making a video about in the future, that whole weirdness of the mutiny. Um, what drives this horrific person to commit his crimes against humanity? How exactly does this deal with the others work and you know why why is he in the story george why are you writing characters like this why is craster existing well we'll be talking all about that and more over the next two hours my phone's making sounds okay got a new phone so it's doing stuff i don't want to oh the beard's filling in it's doing okay it only took me like a month and a half to get what some people get in a few days so huzzah um as usual um if you're first time here please make sure you subscribe leave a comment hit the like button uh if we get as usual if we get to 150 likes the old wizard hat's going on 175 the germ hat last time we actually broke 200 when uh jeff the fandom villain was here and i didn't really know what to do with it um that'll be a problem for another day unless it happens again and then we'll figure out something on the fly as i really do appreciate you guys slamming those like buttons for me um if you want to support the channel you can obviously go to uh, patreon.com slash joe magician where you can get access to the amazing patron slack um you can get access to early content of which will be coming soon two new videos with uh, a few more in planned um you can get access to the patron only episodes like the analysis of meat house man um the expanse episode with the shea of history of westeros um discussions of um what was it cripples bastards and broken things with eliana of girls gone canon and more coming including the uh patron only episode on analysis of sand kings george r, r. martin's best best short story that is not in a song of ice and fire i figure we'll go from one to the other um i'm glad you guys enjoy hanging out on these saturdays with me it's become a nice distraction. Um, oh, people are drinking already? I I am not. I just have some water and a little bit of the shakes from all the coffee. But, you know, that's how it goes. Um, and, of course, uh, Super Chats. And uh, I put the PayPal link. It's actually stickied to the top of the live chat. So I don't have to keep saying it. And the mods don't have to keep putting it. It's just right there. You can just click on it. And we actually have three already. Um, $5 from Danny McKay. As per usual, thank you so much, Danny. Very generous. And uh, $10 from Ramona. Um, no question attached, no comment attached to it. But of course, as usual, she does have patron questions for me to answer. Thank you, Ramona. And uh, one here from Amy Blackfire in the chat. She does have a patron question, but she also has a um, feminist rant on Craster she wants me to talk about. And we will get to that. <laughs> Um, I'll get to that. But first, I want to start off. Uh, I did this last week with Jeff, and I actually kind of liked how it turned out. Um, people have been sending me more emails, which they haven't in a while. But you can to askjoemagician at gmail.com. And I got an email here from Jeff Stern. Jeff very much uh, wanted to tell me about his uh, tinfoil, and I thought I would just read the relevant part. So here it goes. Gurm does not put descriptions in without purpose. He chose to describe the manner in which Varys and the kindly man walk soundlessly in the same language over and over. Also, Gurm describes Varys smelling of perfumes or scented breath at several places. Why? Why then does Gurm describe the kindly man as sweetening his breath whenever he could? Varys is a faceless man. That we can all agree upon, right? His ability to alter his appearance is mentioned at several places in Game of Thrones when talking to Illyrio in the tunnels of the Red Keep and when visiting Ned Stark in secret who advise him King Robert is in danger and in A Clash of Kings, when helping Tyrion visit with um, Aulea, I forget how to pronounce that one, and with Shay. Also, when Varys appears in the epilogue of A Dance with Dragons who assassinate Kevin Lannister, 
is with children, including a skinny girl. Is this the waif? Why does Gurren beat us over the head with Arya viewing her as the waif, if not to draw a str uh, the string between Varys and the kindly man? So, I do like, um, I, I, do, I do not think that Varys is the kindly man. I mean, like, the time frames don't really work out. Uh, we know that Varys never actually, he did not leave Westeros, as he did in the show. Um, he stayed in King's Landing incognito ever since he helped Tyrion uh, escape to, um, escaped Essos. But it's very true that the kindly man and Varys and the faceless man in general do share a lot of characteristics in common. Um, and it's good to catch up to, to pick up on these things because it allows you to draw comparisons between the different characters and the different plot lines that he's weaving together. So like Varys, yeah, he is a master of disguise. Um, he appears totally different. He, uh, in the show, they did this to a limited amount when he would wear some disguises, but he's much better at it in the books. Very faceless man-like uh, in terms of his ability to completely change. Although this is this goes back to his history as a mummer, or essentially a member of a, uh, a, a troop of actors, basically. So he knows how to do makeup, he knows how to change his voice, and all these kind of things much better than the uh, average person does. The thing that's missing though is that Varys does not have anybody he's trying to tutor at the moment. That That's the whole thing with the kindly man and the house of black and white. They are turning Arya into something. Varys isn't turning anybody into anything. I mean, you could say that he's trying to disguise um, young Griff as Aegon Targaryen, but that's kind of largely out of his hands. Um, that's more Illyrio's thing. Um, Varys kind of sets him up. He gives him John Connington. He gives him um, Halden half maester gives him likely septa lamore like we talked about a lot a lot in the last uh, stream but i do think it's interesting that george is making these um characters who are very good at disguise seem like each other and use similar tricks in a way it kind of demystifies the faceless men a lot because we know about jack and hagar and we know about Arya, and they wear the faces and their appearances change massively but a large part of that is that they also need to know how to act they also need to know how to um behave like their subject which actually jack and's not very good at like uh, when he shows up as Pate in the um, A Feast for Crows epilogue. No, uh, no. And uh, when Sam shows up, he goes, it's me, Pate, the pig boy. And then we know from the A Feast for Crows chapter that Pate hates that name, that he never wants to be called that, which means he's probably going to get noticed. Um, you know, it's not just you can't just look like somebody. You have to act like them, too. And I think that's kind of what George is uh, pulling at here with Varys, that Arya still has a ways to go. Um, Shockweed says, is there any evidence of Varys having spent time in Braavos? I thought the Mad King brought him over straight over from Lys. Um, there's, I don't know if Varys ever went to Braavos. He does come from Lys. Um, he probably has contacts everywhere. He has little birds everywhere. You have to develop those somehow. So maybe he has been to Braavos or something like that. Actually, the character that um, the character that the kindly man is most like, if you go back and read it, is actually Blood Raven. Um, the way his appearance, the way he has um, Arya describes him as having a worm coming out of his eye socket. You look at the description Bran gives of Blood Raven. He actually has a little weirwood root coming at, root coming out of his uh, empty eye socket that looks like a worm. They both look half dead, like skulls with um, with uh, flesh on them. And also Arya and Bran's uh, stories are parallels where they're both learning to use their abilities and being trained for something, something bigger. That That's a good one to go look at. No, I, I don't think Varys is the is a kindly man, but I would I would actually be interested to see what would happen if Varys interacted with the faceless man. In particular, we know he probably did in that he poses as a Galloir and um, and Jack and Hagar, the faceless man, was taken from his dungeons. So was there an interaction there? Um, Grayer and I have argued about this quite a lot. 
Uh, she thinks that she, she thinks there's nothing there. I think George intended us to wonder about the fact that since Jacken and Biter and Rorge came from the King's Landing dungeons, Varys is in charge of those secretly. Then how did that work? Did Varys maybe catch Jack and Hagar, noticing that his uh, his acting wasn't as good as his face swapping? I think I think that would be fascinating. But thank you for the question, Jeff. Um, yeah, that one came from email. Um, yes. <laughs> Yes, people. Aaron, good point. People smelling good, and this is particularly noticeable in their society. Not a lot. Not a lot of deodorant going around. Um, not a lot of bathing for most people. So, uh, although there is something to note that we would think everybody smelled stinky because we're used to a certain level of um, uh, what's the right word? A certain level of grooming in our current society. But back then, it wouldn't. It would be no, not as noticeable unless somebody like truly smelled horrific, like they were, like they were uh, running around rolling in crap or something like that. All right. I do like those questions because they're like a nice little diversion before I spend the next two hours talking about something else. Um, I do. That is going to be a part of a actually, no, that is a that's an old theory. I wrote the comparisons between the kindly man and blood raven. I use that as a, a way of maybe linking bravos and the children together. Um, didn't really fit into the theory I put it in, which I'm going to be uh, redoing at some point. But it's it's just a thing to go back and read. Go read Bran's descriptions of Blood Raven and Dance with Dragons, and read Arya's descriptions of the Kindly Man, and they seem really similar. It's it's likely on purpose. Um, hygiene, yes, yes, like Reek, Curse Franks, yes. If you're like Reek and you're doing horrible, horrible things, then it will be noticeable. All right, so I got a quote here to start off with our discussion about Varys. Uh, so this one goes: The man's half mad. I won't deny it. So long as he gives us a hot meal and a chance to dry our clothes, I'll be happy. Dywin said Craster was a kinslayer, rier, liar, raper, and craven, and hinted that he trafficked with slavers and demons. And worse, the old forester would add, clacking his wooden teeth. There's a cold smell to that one. There is. Nice way of describing Craster. Uh, <laughs> I believe this comes from before we meet him. So George is laying it on pretty thick that Crasher is going to be a particularly vile character in the story. Um, and that, you know, he traffics with slavers and demons. Well, we know the demons, it's the ice demons. We learned that one later. The slavers one's a little strange. We don't actually see that, but he's supposed to be like the embodiment of every bad thing <laughs> in their society. Um, Varamir is supposed to be like the ultimate bad green seer or ultimate bad skin changer, basically. That's his role in the story. But Craster is supposed to be just like, how far can you push a terrible person? How far would they go? Well, pretty far, as it turns out, uh, when he turns into this kind of guy. Um, actually, while we're here, why don't I just go ahead and answer that question from Amy? This is going to come up. Yes, always listen to Dywin. He is always, always right. Uh, so the super chat from uh, Amy Blackfire, $15. Very appreciated very much, Amy. Thank you. Um, so sh what she said... I could do so much feminist analysis on Craster, but too long didn't read. He represents everything that's wrong with the patriarchy. He sexually assaults his daughters and controls them. It is disgusting that they are called quote unquote wives, which hints at monogamy and consent, neither of which is there. Some of the fandom will say most women in Westeros don't consent to being married, but at least they aren't marrying their dad. Oof. Strong words there. Um, there is kind of a, an analysis there that um, he's that you could consider him like a patriarchal culture or um, just taken to its extreme. Like what, it, what would some people do 
if there were literally no laws stopping this kind of thing. Um, and you know, in real life, there are people that do horrific things like Craster. Um, you know, people that kidnap others and hold them as slaves, essentially like kind of what Craster does. There's uh, there's cults that trap uh, people and particularly women inside of them, inside the cult and don't allow them to leave. Um, there's all sorts of horrific examples from the weir from the real world. And yeah, it's, um, I don't, you could call them captives. Like that's probably the stronger or more apt word for what the, his daughters actually are. I, I just because like he gave them some mead and said they are married does not mean it's like real or anything. Um, yeah, not marry. Don't marry your dad. Don't, don't marry family members. That's probably a good lesson. Um, yeah, I mean, there, I mean, there are cultures that have, uh, multiple wives, but usually not family members that, that is taking a little far. It's almost like <laughs> I was going to get to this later, but it's probably good to, now because you guys are kind of talking about it. Like, um, what about the relationship between the Valerians and incest and what Crasher's doing? And it's kind of like Crasher just took it an extra step because it's particularly vile that Crasher is marrying his daughters and then his granddaughters and I think his great granddaughters. I'm not sure if he's at that generation yet. But also when you look at the Valerians, I mean, Aegon the Conqueror married both of his sisters. Um, sibling incest is considered illegal in most places and the Valerians go for it. It's almost like it, if you just took it an extra step, because as you guys are noting, the uh, even the Valerians did not seem to go for parent to child incest as far as we know. But they did do um, first cousins. They did siblings. They did uncles and nieces and aunts and nephews. It's basically like one step further. And I, I do I do think about that in terms of like and, and also we know that some of the Valyrian marriages were not there was no consent. We know that um, they were forced to by kings. Um, they were decreed and had to go through with it. It's not awesome, but there's people generally have a very high opinion of the Valyrians and a very low opinion of Craster, even though there are similarities in their behavior in terms of incest and forced marriages. Um, so I, I think that's an interesting comparison to think about as we're talking about him. Just keep in mind that there is an entire culture that is uh, very highly held in regard in this story and in the fandom that largely does the same things as Craster, just like if you turned it down from 11 to like six or seven. And actually, it, there seems to be almost a practical purpose to it. Oh, really? Ramona says in the world of ice and fire, the Valyrians did go for this kind of marriage. Ha huh, ha. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, what's good for the for the fire elves is not good for Craster, I guess. Um, yeah, just just keep that in mind that there's a very good case to be made that George is drawing a comparison between Crasher and the Valyrians and maybe supposed to think about that a little bit harder as we learn about their history and um, the kind of marriages they were forced to go through and how it may just be that like people like them better and that's why they allowed them to get away with it and people don't like Crasher and therefore it's it's it is very awful. But I mean, like really, Ares and Rayella, that was a forced sibling marriage by the by the king. That's not okay. That should be like on Craster levels of horrificness. But anyway, so let's go into his history now that we've gone into a diatribe about uh, Valyrian culture. Uh, so where did he come from? Where, why, who is this guy? Where did he come from? Um, so we get a fairly grim story of Craster's upbringing and talked about the curse. He He's supposedly cursed. Um, so this comes from Egret. She's talking to Jon Snow, who, by the way, Egret knows about Craster. He's like famous in wildling culture. So he says, so she, she says, Craster's more your kind than ours. His father was a crow who stole women out of White Tree Village 
But after he had her, he flew back to his wall. She went to Castle Black at once to show the crow his son, but the brothers blew his horns and run her off. Craster's blood is black, and he bears a heavy curse. Well, okay, so this this is not going to be an uncommon story throughout the history of the Night's Watch that rangers went on a, on a, a quote-unquote ranging and ended up having sex with wildling girls, women, whoever. Um, there's really no oversight for what they do beyond the wall except for each other. So definitely, definitely this is no, in no sense the first time this has happened. It's probably happened many, many times. Um, so the blood is black. Usually when the wildlings say a character's blood is black, they mean that his blood is of a Night's Watch Ranger. Um, but then the, he bears a heavy curse. It's kind of confusing what Egret is talking about here. Like what, what curse could she possibly be talking about? Um, I guess there's a sort of a social stigma he would face within wildling culture that he is an actual acknowledged bastard of a Night's Watch Ranger. But again, there would be more of these. And actually, there's one very famous character who shares this exact story, and that is Mance Raider. Mance Raider shares the exact same background as Braster. He is the son of a Night's Watch Ranger and a wildling woman. The only difference between them is that Mance was raised in the Night's Watch whereas Craster was raised in um, in the wildling culture. But you would think that would make Mance the more cursed character, right? Because he's the one that actually grew up as a Night's Watch Ranger. He is literally a crow, whereas Craster just is just related to them. So why exactly is Craster more hated? Why is he ha bearing a heavy curse just for having black blood? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And it kind of points to the fact that there may be a lot more to Craster than meets the eye, that the curse has nothing to do with his, with the social stigma that, I mean, we find out later um, that it's more than just being related to the Night's Watch, but this is sort of a characterization that a lot of characters mention that he is a bastard. They mention that he is related to the Night's Watch and it's like, okay, I, I, I mean, I guess so. <laughs> I think it largely comes down to the difference between Mance and why Mance is accepted in a king and Craster is not is, is behavior. I don't think it has a lot to do with their blood or their up or their upbringing or anything like that because by all accounts, Mance should be hated. They should have killed Mance on sight instead they made him king. Um, so yeah. But you can imagine that as he was growing up, Mance, I mean, um, Craster would be a character that grew up with probably a lot of stigma around him that people would tease him about. Think Ramsey Snow and the way that being called a bastard really gets to him. Well, it gets to Craster too. People call him a bastard and he gets furious about it. Um, and also we know where Craster is from, actually. He's from White Tree Village. That's that same village that um that the night's watch goes through when they go through on their on their ranging and there's that giant weirwood and it's got the empty village with those little villages that's that's where crasher is from that's his home um and we we have a quote here um it says sam looked dubious dolorous ed says crasher's a terrible savage he marries his daughters and obeys no laws but those he makes himself and dylan cold told gren he's got black blood in his veins again the black blood his mother was a wildling woman who lay with a ranger so he's a bath suddenly he realized what he's about to say he was about to call him a bastard in front of john john was about to be upset at him um I think it's an interesting, interesting connection when you think about Crasher and growing up in White Tree Village, that the village he's from is the one where we see human sacrifice, the one where they go and poke around into the Weirwood's mouth and they find bones in there. And it seems to be that the, um, the inhabitants were giving over children to the Weirwoods. Um, when we learn about what Crasher does later, 
maybe it makes a little more sense why he's been sacrificing his children perhaps white tree village for a long time has been engaging in a similar kind of child sacrifice but not to the weirwood gods but to the cold gods instead ah people are bringing up the blood raven connection to crasher um actually it's probably a good time to talk about this um who which night's watch ranger is he related to well okay so we don't get a lot of information about it, but what we do know about him is that he looks nothing like Aemon Targaryen. He looks nothing like Blood Raven. He's he's kind of a um he's very stocky and uh, powerfully built. He's um he's got a he's described as having a wide flat face with a flat nose. Um he doesn't have Valyrian features to him, like not even a little bit. So I think you can kind of rule out the whole Targaryen connection. Um because if he is, he took literally nothing from them. Not the hair color, not the purple eyes, not the red eyes of Blood Raven, not the al- albino, not the build, none of that. So, um, so who could he be related to? Well, I actually wrote a theory about this back in the day and I titled it, um, hang on a second, the parents of Craster. And it was kind of tinfoil and kind of bad. And some parts of it, I realized that were wrong in retrospect. I wrote this about five years ago, but the one that, um, that came up that I thought was the most interesting is that Craster has a few tendencies that are totally out of place for a wildling. In particular, um, he has he has quite a lot of knowledge of what's going on south of the wall. And not only that, he's taught his daughters or his wives or his captives or whatever to have um, southern manners. Like for instance, Gilly talks more like a serving girl from um, for Westerosi culture than a wildling girl like Egret. And it's much the same with the rest of them. And when you start following the tracks and you go back, and you look at all the name rangers, and who could it be? Um, well, the biggest clue is that he there's some sort of connection with the Night King or something like that. And maybe there's some magical blood going on, possibly, maybe. I don't know. I ended up um, concluding that he's actually the son of the Night's Watch Ranger and Knight that almost became Lord Commander, but did not. And I think it was uh, Sir Winton Stout. Um, the main reason is that it's that Stout is from, well, not only that, he's um, Winton Stout is a sir. He's from Barrowton. Um, so he follows the faith of the seven. Egret, I mean, uh, Gilly and Crasher have knowledge of the faith of the seven, which very few others do, um, other than Mance, who's been on both sides of the wall. Also, uh, George has hinted in the past in a, a question he got from a reader um, Are there other bastard or cadet branches of House Stark out there? Uh, because there's so few of them. I've talked about this in other live streams that it seems like there's not enough Starks to go around. There should be a lot more. And he answered very cryptically that there's actually a cadet branch in Barrowton. Well, it can't be House Dustin because they're not a cadet branch, but the only other named house is House Stout. And Stout and Stark are kind of cognates. Um, so I think it would be interesting if the others were interested in Craster because he has a um, a blood tie to House Stark. And the, the, the connection between House Stark and the others seem to be pretty strong, I would say. Um, so that would be, that's my guess. I think it's Winton Stout. And it's also noted that Winton Stout almost became Lord Commander of the Night's Watch once, but ended up losing the vote. And I think the fact that if he was a ranger who everyone knew his son was Craster, that could be a reason that they were like, okay, Winton, like we we can't vote for you anymore. We know you broke your vows. 
You cannot be that guy. Um, I don't know the the existence of house stout, house stout, and the way that Stark means strong and Stout means strong means the same thing. That seems to be George giving a little wink that you should look a little harder at the only other named house that lives in Barrowton. So that's my guess. I think it's Winton Stout. Um, and that would also tie him, yes, to the original Night King. You guys are right there. One of the, it's it's hinted by um, Old Nan that the Night King himself was a member of House Stark before um, before he joined the Night's Watch. So it's not. The, I don't think it's a Targaryen side that um, that they're interested in Crasher for. I think it's the Stark blood. <laughs> Um, I think if, if he was a Valyrian, he would look it in any way. Crasher does not look Valyrian in any sense of the word. Um, and let me, I'll drop the, the, um, the theory to you guys. If you want to go back and read it, I'm just going to say from the start that some parts of the logic are really bad and there are parts that are not true that I realized afterwards, but I still think the conclusion is right. I just need to re-argue the point. Um, so <clears throat> yes, therefore the curse mod, Mary, see you're getting there. Winton Stout, father of Craster. Um, so that gets back to like, how did this happen? How did, um, how did Craster end up with a keep? Like what, what happened here? Especially since we know he's from White Tree Village, he has no wealth. He's just one guy. Why is he off on his own and able to do this? Um, a slight diversion here. Did you guys know there actually is a real Craster's Keep? There's a real place. It's in the town of Craster, which is in Northumberland in England. Um, and it's near Hadrian's Wall. Um, and I think this is significant because Craster is a tourist village. And George, when he was younger, he took a trip all throughout England. And he tells a particular story about how... Um, he went to go see Hadrian's wall and he stood on it. And it's that moment he thought about um, the giant ice wall that would be and what would happen when you cut a country in half with a wall like Hadrian's wall. Um, so I'm guessing that the name Craster uh, comes from this town. He probably stopped there at some point. Um, there's a real I mean, there's a real family named Craster. They, it was the the keep itself is called Craster Tower and it was a um, just like a 14th century keep or something like that. And if, actually, if you look at the name Craster, the name means um, crow's earthwork. So a building, an earthwork building built by crows. Craster is related to the Night's Watch, who are often called crows. So there you go. I think uh, that's one of those things that I came across when I was doing the research. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Wow, there's actually a real Craster's Keep. So any of you guys out there that are from England, you can go see Craster's Keep. Oh, uh, another uh, PayPal donation. Hey, San Rixian. Oh, there you are. There you are in the chat. How's it going, Sanry? Thank you so much. Thank you for the very generous uh, $25. You're the best. Um, yes, Hadrian's Wall is not so huge now. Um, oh, yes. Slam that like button. We got 110. Get to 150. Wizard hat's going on. Everyone loves the wizard hat. Yeah, go see Hadrian's Wall. Go see uh, Craster's Keep and Craster. Um, it's a little sleepy fishing village. A lot of tourists go there. It's apparently it's a very nice place. Um, so I would guess that that's what it's supposed to, that that's where Crasher and all this stuff came from. He has hung on to the name over time and eventually wrote it into a character. Um, okay, so let's talk about the um, Crasher's Keep in the books. So like it's really unclear how he was able to build it, how he was able to defend it. Why hasn't the why haven't Wildling Raiders taken him out? Um, like or why haven't the Watch taken him out? Like it seems like they should. There's he doesn't do anything important well he kind of does um oh hey amanda how's it going welcome to the craster live stream um and craster does he doesn't trade in any goods he doesn't trade in uh, anything he makes but he does trade in information and that's kind of what you can tell 
from how he keeps himself alive. When you look at Crasher's Keep, it's actually a little bit north of White Tree Village, um, north of Castle Black. And it's like the exact right place to serve where um, the Night's Watch Rangers would want to stop by and stay the night, during which Crasher would gather information about who they were, where they're going, and he could sell that, let's say, to the wildlings. Um, and do vice versa. If any wildling raiders stop by, well, then Crasher could get information and then sell that to the rangers. And he ended up making himself too important to kill, basically. Um, not only is his house a good shelter, I mean, his keep is a good shelter to stay out of the cold, but it's also just he's playing both sides against each other. Neither side is willing to give up the information uh, he provides, so he sort of has protection as long as neither of them gets so mad they want to kill him. I mean, there's obviously a third faction, the others, that is keeping him in place and alive, but this is probably how it started out. Um, although it seems odd that this that this wasn't taken care of by White Tree Village. Um, it seems like that would be the more natural place to go, but you never know. So I think that's ex essentially how Crasher got set up. But I think it's I think it's notable to say that why doesn't he live in White Tree Village? That's where his home is and he's famous. So I think it's very likely that at some point Crasher actually got exiled from his home and maybe his mother with him. Um, when we look at Crasher's whole thing about marrying his daughters and systematic incest, um, you have to wonder if maybe this is a, uh, a behavior he was taught. Like maybe he had an incestuous relationship with his mother and that got him kicked out of the village. Um, I mean, he's a raper too, so you never know. Um, like when you think about the things that Egret really thinks is a problem, one of the big ones is the fact that um, when you steal a wife, I guess, in wildling culture, if you want to call it that, the courtship or whatever the hell it is, you have to make sure you take it from somebody who's another village because you don't want to end up uh, with inbred kids. Well, Craster does the opposite of that. And if he was part of, if that's, you know, that could be kind of part of the curse and why he's so infamous. Um, oh, okay, wait a second. <laughs> with his mother is a step too far. We're talking about the guy that marries his his daughters and his granddaughters and his great granddaughters. Like it would not be that ridiculous if that his mind was essentially broken by abuse when he was young and he's just sort of continuing a cycle. Um, we also don't know who his first wife is. So there's one that could be creepy for you. <laughs> uh, oh. I also want to uh, point out here a very real possibility that Crasher's Keep was not something he came up with on his own. It's it could be very possible that his Night's Watch Ranger father or the range or the Rangers themselves helped him set up his keep, that maybe they helped him build it, that maybe they gave him supplies and that he's essentially set up as a Night's Watch outpost a little bit north of White Tree Village to essentially be a spy for them. Um, has he made it to great granddaughters yet? Um, good question. He's had he has 19 wives at the moment um, and he has there are girls at the keep that are too young to marry so maybe within a couple years he'd probably get there um yeah i think there's a very real possibility considering the night's watch knows that he sacrifices his children that they have a good relationship with them um that that his whole crashers keep thing may be sponsored essentially which adds to the horrificness of it um that the night's watch knew all along who he was and they took advantage of his outsider status in order to give themselves an advantage over the wildlings. That would be a horrific thing, but we know that, you know, they deal with it basically anybody. Um, and when you look at Crasher's Keep itself, I mean, it's called a keep, but it's actually just like kind of a shitty rundown shack. Um, it's got like a small fence. It's got some room for animals. 
Um, there's actually no, there's no noted gardens or crops around there, uh, which keep that in mind when we're talking about the Night's Watch and the relationship they have because Crasher has a lot of food because he's able to feed himself and his 19 wives and all the children that, um, that he's going to marry in the future, but he doesn't produce anything. Like he doesn't have any animals left. He doesn't have any crops. He doesn't have any vegetables. And yet he has all this stuff. Um, I think you have to draw the conclusion that much of his, um, much of his ability to feed himself is trade for information that the Night's Watch essentially give him food to keep him going. Uh, there's also another possibility that Crasser essentially acts like a, a pirate or a, a raider himself. And that, um, like for instance, when they get to White tree village there's nothing left ever all the inhabitants have left but they couldn't have carried everything with them there's like it's a permanent settlement so there must be must have been stuff they left behind they couldn't carry yet it's all gone and you can imagine that maybe crashed after they left or after they were chased off by let's say the others that he went in and stole everything um it, on his own crashers keep cannot survive so he very much has to be reliant on trading or gifts probably from the Night's Watch. And we actually see that happen within the um, within the story. When J.R. Mormont shows up, he gives him an axe. In the past, he's given him a crossbow. Well, why wouldn't he give him something else? Why wouldn't they give him, uh, why wouldn't they give him food? Why wouldn't they give him supplies? The ability to care for himself and his family. Yes, guilty Undertaker. So if all of Crasher's food comes from the Watch, does that mean the Night's Watch Mutineers were taking what is theirs? You, I have puzzled about that for a long time. And it was the realization I came to. I was like, they kept accusing Crasher of having tons of food underneath his house, but none of them have been down there. So how do they know? Well, they, some members of the Night's Watch probably did know that they'd been giving him um, food from their stores for quite a long time, paying him off. Hey, thank you for the uh, super sticker, Stephanie Spain. $3. Very generous. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, th I think that's part of the mutiny and that's why I'm going to, I'm going to do a video about this in the future. Um, but just keep that in mind that, yeah, yeah, I think the Night's Watch members that were on the Great Ranging were very much aware of Craster having a lot of food squirreled away because they gave it to him. They may have delivered it, but it's a secret, much like how, um, Mormont already knows about the, um, the child sacrifices. So yeah, gross, but it kind of explains how he's able to survive out there and feed everybody because um, he has no other way. He, you can't, he basically has a large settlement in one building. You have to be getting supply somewhere. Um, so one other thing I, to talk about when we're talking about like how Crasher survives, and I think that's, it's a good time to get into like his relationship exactly to the others. Like what the hell's going on here? Um, so when we see this in the books, it's kind of set up as a mystery at first. Um, we get the line that I read at the top about him being a, like interacting with demons and being a horrible person. And then over time, as John is at Crasher's Keep, he ends up getting more and more suspicious. And finally, it's revealed that, yes, he's giving um, he's giving his sons to the others. And I, I have a quote here <clears throat> just to give you a, a little taste of exactly how he thinks of his relationship with the others. Craster said, a godly man got no cause to fear such. I said as much to that man's raider once when he comes sniffing round. He never listened. No more, you crows with your swords and your bloody fires. That won't help you none when the white cold comes. Only the gods will help you then. You best get right with the gods. Gilly had spoken of the white cold as well, and she told them, what sort of offerings Craster made to his gods. Sam had wanted to kill him when he heard. There were no laws beyond the wall, he reminded himself, and Craster is a friend to the watch. Ooh. But that is that is a relationship to the others in a nutshell. Craster believes that he is sacrificing 
to a higher power, which I mean, fair enough. The others are literal ice demons. They're basically immortal. They can bring back the dead. They may as well be gods, better and more real than any of the other ones that he's likely to come across. The Faith of the Seven, even the Weirwood gods. People pray to them all the time, but nothing happens. Well, these ones are walking around. Ooh, uh, Crouching Panther Hidden Dragon. Do you think Krasser recognized Jon Snow because of his family's ties to the Starks? Um, it could be, but I, in my uh, Cold Death for the, in the Snow thing, I suggested that it had to do more with um, prophecy or that the others informed him somehow that they were looking for a Stark and he knows what they look like. Um, but <laughs> wait, you ran into a bear? What the hell's going on over there? Um... Uh, some other quotes here. We've had no such troubles here, and I'll thank you not to tell such evil tales under my roof. I'm a godly man, and the gods keep me safe. What gods? John was remembering that they'd seen no boys in Crashtridge Keep, nor men either, save Crashtridge himself. The cold gods, she said, the ones in the night, the white shadows. And then it goes on even further, and this is a tale that, um, that I kind of keyed in on in an old theory I wrote, and I was like, wait a second, what is George doing here? So listen to this one. At Winterfell, one of the serving one of the serving women told a story. John went on. She used to say that there were wildlings who lay with the others to birth half-human children. Hearth tales. Does Crasher seem less than human to you? In half a hundred ways, he gives his sons to the wood. And I think there's a very real possibility that um, that there is the others used to be human at some point. Maybe there is some kind of like other human hybrid population in the north. Maybe those are the inhabitants of like maybe White Tree Village. Um, I've also, I also in the past, I wrote a, a theory that is probably not true anymore, but I, I keyed in on this idea, um, where I essentially argued that the reason they want Craster is that on half of his side, he is, um, part Stark and then the other side, um, he's related to that, he, that the mother has some kind of other blood to her or something like that, that there is a specific mix of magical blood that makes Craster in particular useful to the others in a way that apparently no one else is. That's one of those things that really sticks out. Like you don't need to do this. Like why Craster in particular? You could be going around shaking down any villages you want and taking the sons or just killing the killing the members of a village with your whites and just taking the children or the babies yourself. Like you don't need Craster to do this. So it seems to be there's something special about him, um, which is weird to say considering he's such, such a massive piece of shit. But oh, wow. One hundred and thirty one likes. Very, very close. Um, so, yeah, he, he considers himself a acolyte, almost like a priest of the others. That um, again, you can kind of see why it's um, they are real. They're tangible. They come around and shake him down and take his sons. It's not like it'd be although it's kind of like if you treated the Valyrians as gods, which they encourage. So, you know, kind of makes sense. Um, I know I write a lot of theories. Um, so then we get into the whole mass incest and daughter wiving. Huzzah. We got here the, the part nobody likes the worst part. Uh, so Crasher obviously has this horrific practice where he would systematically marry his offspring and then get them pregnant again. Any boys would be given away to the others. Um, there's a point where Gilly calls the others Crasher's sons um, and he has somewhere around I'm going to say like 25 to 30 quote unquote daughters or granddaughters or great granddaughters under his roof. So you can assume a similar amount of sons was born unless for some reason he gave he had way more sons. 
So you can we can assume that there's probably somewhere around 30 to 40 others running around that are genetically Craster's kids. Um, oh, Amanda bringing up the excellent question. Are the babies sacrificed? Is there a White Walker daycare? Love the question. One of my favorite topics. So is there like a colony of baby others? The show certainly gave us that um, where it showed the Night King touching the child and then his eyes, his eyes turn blue. And so somehow that means he was he became one of the White Walkers. Um, yeah, they, they say a hundred sons. But if you're looking at the how many daughters you have, unless a lot of them died, I know it's a possibility that a lot of them ran away, but there seems to be um, quite from what we know from Craster's family. There's probably like 30 to 40 others that are directly related to him. Maybe 100 is um, is an exaggeration. But yeah, so oh, we got there. OK, hang on a second. Hat time. <laughs> Don't call me Matthew. What's wrong with you, Mallory? Good timing, because um, look, uh, what's his name? Uh, Gandalf retweeted john webster's stream so gandalf hat there we go guys got the got the gandalf hat uh remember 175 that one goes on um so yeah th that's probably how many sons are actually out there um it's I, I but it's also not clear who his first wife was we don't really know anything about her um who started this whole thing with craster who allowed him to continue to marry their children or give away the sons um that's kind of why i raised the question like is it maybe he married his mother or something like that because it's hard to imagine who would stick around for this i know i'm sorry amy it does cover up my hair um definitely some wives could escape um and actually this is something that um amy blackfire she asked on in the patron slack um oh wait well it's kind of related and i figured i've just lumped them together um she said to what extent is craster's sexist rapist behavior encouraged by the night's watch looking the other way what does this say about the night's watch and acceptance of following a man's rules under his own roof what about the agency and rights of craster's daughters do they not deserve rights to make their own decisions well there's a for the first part there's a couple quotes that essentially tell you um why the Night's Watch tolerate him. Um, this one is, the man's half mad, I won't deny it, but you'd be the same if you spent your life in this cursed wood. Even so, he never turned a ranger away from his fire, nor does he love Man's Raider. He'll give us good counsel. So that's essentially the Night's Watch justification. Um, they put up with him because he has a fire and a roof, and he's not a member of Man's Raider's army, and he gives them information. So that's kind of why. Um, and then also, Gilly had spoken of the White Cold as well, and she told them what sort of offerings Craster made to his gods. Sam had wanted to kill him when he heard there are no laws beyond the wall. He reminded himself and Craster's a friend to the watch. And that's kind of part and parcel with the whole Night's Watch as it exists today. They put up with anybody. They will take anybody and um, from the dungeons of Westeros to become a Night's Watch Ranger. Uh, that's something that John very much struggles with. Um, they might have a noble purpose, but they're not noble in their acts and they don't have a lot of options and they just sort of go along with it. Um, which, yeah, I think really undercuts the, the whole morality of the Night's Watch as a function, because what's the point of protecting the wall if you're not not protecting um craster's daughters from him shouldn't that be part of your um part of your mission like if you're trying to save humanity their humanity you should probably try and help them and that's one of the things that john struggles with is that he tries to 
um, reassert a moral core to the Night's Watch that isn't really there anymore. Um, that Bowen Marsh has, that Bowen Marsh represents the, where they sort of just act like asshole lords instead of any sort of protection except to keep themselves alive. And that's essentially the relationship to Craster. But um, in terms of like what's going on with these daughters and why are they there? Um, well, there's, there can be quite a lot of things going on that's keeping them there that doesn't have anything to do with like, any kind of lack of moral um, failings on the daughter's parts or any sort of like weakness or anything like that. It's um, there's there's quite a lot of things that Craster used to keep control. Number one is he grooms them. He grooms them from a very young age and they're raised in a society where they're not really um, they're The only society they know is Craster's keep. Much like Danny growing up thinking that she's going to marry Viserys. It's like, well, I guess that's a, that's just what's going to happen. I guess it's not wrong because how would they know different? They're, they've essentially been raised in a, um, in a totally isolated cult. So that's one thing. They may not realize that there's anything wrong with it until they get older, at which point they may still run away. We don't know how many of his daughters have run away, but there's a few things that would keep them from doing it. So for one thing, being a daughter of Craster, Craster's... A horrible, horrible person, and every wildling knows it. White Tree Village knows it. Mance's army knows it. Night's Wash knows it. It's like, where would you even go if you were one of them? Especially if, what if they've, they may have never left the direct area around Craster's Keep. Um, if you're going to try to escape, you have to have somewhere to go. And they don't even, there's a very real possibility that they don't know anything. That they don't know except going south. And what happens when a wildling um, comes up to the Night's Watch wall? Well, they blow their horns and shoot arrows on you. So you can't do that. Uh, you could try and get to White Tree Village, but they probably remember Craster and, uh, and don't like him. So it's almost like he has them on an island, basically, in the um, in the haunted forest where they can't escape, but they escape only to die from uh, from starvation within a f within like a week or something like that. Um, if they even re and if they even reach anybody, who knows if they would accept them? Um, you'd hope so. I would hope that the the wildling cultures around them would recognize how horrific what Craster is doing to them and throw them a bone but you never know um the the whole the stigma around being related to him is pretty pretty strong and there's also a very real possibility if you want to hate the night's watch even more that the rangers may go get his daughters for him like if the, if there's rangers on a ranging um we know that they pay him off they may be paid off he may get paid off in favors so for instance let's say let's say there's um there's a particularly vile group of rangers staying at Craster's place. And he says, oh, one of my daughters escaped. She went north. Would the Night's Watch rangers maybe go and get her? Very possible. Um, they seem to be okay with everything else going on. And not just because somebody's a ranger doesn't mean they're a good person. Could very well be that. Um, and there's also the, um, the other very real possibility that the others are essentially keeping the daughters in place, that they sort of act as jailers, that, um, that maybe they have some whites hanging around Crashers Keep at all times. Maybe there are always other in the woods um, around Crasher Keep waiting for sons. And so maybe they heard the daughters back when they try to escape. For instance, Gilly knows about them. She's seen them. Maybe she's tried to run away too and been scared by the others and been forced back to go to the Craster's Keep. Um, there's, yeah, there's a very real possibility that Craster just uses the connections around him to make sure that they never get to escape. It's, um, yeah. Also, um, somebody in the chat said, uh, Craster, the OG gaslighter. Yeah. 
Um, there's a lot of stories about how people use systematic abuse and um, essentially position themselves as the better of two options in order to keep uh, captives and the mentally abused when they should leave. Um, yeah, that's a good call, Car Carsonar. Clasher is a classic case of necessary evil. That's how the Night's Watch feels about him. The Wildlings do not. They apparently just view him as evil. Um, yeah, Aaron. I mean, they have to know at some point when Craster has a son to give up. So there's probably someone around that they, they probably leave maybe an advance force just hanging out in the trees uh, waiting for them. Um, we also know from Gilly that for some reason they take sheep. Haven't really puzzled that one out. It's a weird one. Um, but yeah, and uh, Tormund says much the same when he basically says that um, they're always around the white mists. Um, not great. Um, basically, Crasher's daughters just live in a, the worst possible environment. Nowhere to go. Maybe no knowledge of even of how to leave or where they would go. The Night's Watch Rangers themselves and the others perhaps making sure they can't ever leave. Um, so that could be particularly, particularly horrific existence. And at some point, maybe some of them just give up and just live with the fact that they do have a roof over their heads and they have food and it's a pretty horrific life. Um, are there more crashes out there? It doesn't seem to be. There seems to be just him. Although we, there is a note that there are some northern clans in the like around Cannibal Bay or something like that, that maybe sacrificed to the old god to the cold god. Um, but we don't really interact with them. We don't really know who that is. It may just be stories. Um, but the idea of giving up sons to the to the gods, as we've seen from White Tree Village, is probably not that out of place in wildling culture. So that's one of those things where John that that may be a misunderstanding from the Night's Watch about exactly what Crasher is doing. Um, they probably very much know that he's sacrificing to the woods because human sacrifice is a big part of old god worship. They may just think he's worshiping the old gods, not realizing it's actually the others. Um, <clears throat> yes, that's true, Aaron. We do have a butter cabal. <laughs> There's like a several hour conversation about butter. We agreed that Kerry Gold, I think, is the best one. Um, hang on a second. Yes, Kerry Gold butter is the best butter. Um, they need sheep for their snowy capes. I don't really know. It's uh, as to Amanda's question, uh, what happens to them after they get sacrificed? Well, there's, a, there's kind of really only two possibilities. Either they get turned into others and then they grow up very quickly. Like um, instead of like waiting 18 years, maybe within a, a few hours, their bodies are transformed into being full others. Or there's another possibility that um, since they seem to be made of magic in some way, that maybe there's like a blood sacrifice element to it. And they, they kill the sons or something like that in some kind of blood magic ritual and then their bodies are allowed to or they get enough magic to recreate themselves um i don't have strong opinions on which way it is which way it goes the show gave us the possibility that um that the children essentially transform into the into those bodies into the full-grown others as we see them i tend to think of it um in the second one because Tormund tells us basically that they don't go away that the um the others are ever present they're always a white mist and when you look at the undying and other um, magical beings that have outlived their lives, um, there seems to be, and even with the second lives, I imagine that essentially what happens is that the, the others essentially possess the bodies of the sons and then essentially like eat them up in the way that the undying were trying to do to Danny. And then using that, they create their, um, their bodies. I do not think that there is um, a, white, a white walker daycare out there. I don't think there's like 14 year old white Walker edgelords with, with ice pimples or something hanging out. 
Um, that would be that would be a little bit too far for me to believe. I think that they just essentially possess the sun's bodies and then transform them maybe almost instantly into <clears throat> what they looked like in the past, essentially like giving themselves their beards, giving themselves their facial features. Um, and they're not really crashed or sons in any sense anymore. They've just been um, they've just been transformed. Oh, grows fast as a xenomorph. Good one, Isabel. <clears throat> Although it would be fun to see a White Walker society. Like, what do they do all day? Um, what do they do for fun? What do they talk? Do they have like awesome debates in Scraw. Do they play uh, Savas or something like that? I don't know. Um, maybe the sheep is producing milk for the babies. That is possibly people have brought up. I don't really know about that. Um, but the important part here is that like when we're talking about Craster and the others, they obviously have some way of communicating with each other. Um, like how does this work exactly? Um, because clearly Craster figured out at some point he has to give them their sons and he worships them and he apparently gives them information. So he has to have some way of doing it. Um, so there's a few possibilities. I think the first one that makes the most sense to me is that, um, the others and their magic appear to be psychic based. A lot of George's magic and all of his stories are essentially psychic abilities and telepaths. And I'm guessing that that's essentially how it works because we know the others cannot talk. They, um, they speak in what's known as scraw which sounds like the cracking of ice on a lake. You ain't, we ain't speaking that language. You ain't speaking scraw. No, no, there's no conversation there. Maybe the others could understand Crash when he speaks, but he cannot understand back. Um, so I, it would make sense to me if, since we know that um, like dream manipulation and that telepaths are basically a thing in A Song of Ice and Fire, if they rely on that, that they essentially go into his brain and send him dreams. Yeah, like I go to the understanding, you're right there. The others sent Crash your dreams or um, they send him images in their in his head telling him what to do. Um, that would make sense to me. Um, there's also a practical way this could have happened. So you can imagine maybe young Craster with his first wife and they're walking through the woods. Maybe he's out hunting and they have their son with them and um, they get surprised by the others. They're attacking. They're going to kill them. Oh my God. They're very, very scared. What are they going to do? Um, maybe Craster notices that they're looking at his child and he offers up the child to essentially get away. And, and then maybe the other accepts the child, picks it up and walks away. And he's like, huh, that was strange. And then does it again. And you can see maybe a, um, a relationship growing over time, but the there has to be some sort of communication eventually but that could be how it started and i was thinking about in terms of like so how exactly did the others contact crasher for the first time and i actually i thought of um i went back to brand's whole fly or die thing his vision from the beginning of the books now listen to this <clears throat> finally he looked north he saw the walls shining like blue crystal and his bastard brother john sleeping alone in a cold bed his skin growing pale and hard as the memory of all warmth fled him fled from him and he looked past the wall past endless forests cloaked in snow past the frozen shore and the great blue white rivers of ice and the dead plains where nothing grew or lived north and north and north he looked to the curtain of light at the end of the world and then beyond that curtain he looked deep into the heart of winter and he cried out afraid and the heat of his tears burned on his cheeks so imagine that scenario that went brand's law except instead crashed here said like yeah bring it on man heart of winter this sounds great and just sort of went into the heart of winter instead of running away from it um you could i can imagine 
imagine like a dark version of that of Blood Raven essentially contacting Brand being what the others did to crash her. I think that would make a lot of sense, especially since we know it's a thing that already happened in the books. You don't have to you don't have to make up a scenario. You can just say, OK, what if this happened to Craster and he just went for it? OK, I think that I think that kind of makes a lot of sense to me. Um, oh, super chat from Ricardo Rodriguez. Uh, five pounds. Thank you, Ricardo. Very generous. Congrats on keeping the best of Song of Ice and Fire channel on YouTube. Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. Uh, will we see Crashers keep again when the story moves beyond the wall? If so, to what purpose? Um, if we see it again, um, it would probably be when Bran's running from the others um, to go from where he is back to the wall to get through it, um, possibly to hold the door in some kind of that. I can imagine they stop by Crasher's Keep. Um, that would be my guess. If we see it again, it will be while Bran and whoever's still alive from Blood Raven's cave, they're essentially fleeing through that. Um, yeah, that'll be my guess. But again, when we're talking about the the flyer division, the communication, I, I don't think I don't think it's as hard to guess how it works, just because we don't like literally have crashers say like, oh well, I see visions in my sleep, and then I think about things, and then the others know them. I think you can kind of just fill in the blanks with the magical stuff that's already in the story and say like, oh yeah, that checks out. It's just Crasher's not saying it. You can just fill in the blanks. I think that's essentially how it works. Um, let's see here. Oh, only three more likes for, for my germ hat. You guys, you guys are looking forward to that. Slam the MF and like button. <laughs> <coughs> Um, so I think uh, one thing to talk about next is sort of Craster's betrayals, because even though everybody sort of distrusts Craster, they still end up, um, oh, hat swap time. All right. Man, I need to get a bigger wizard's hat kind of pinching on my forehead there. Turtle hat time. The more comfortable of the two. There we go. Looking like Germ at Halloween. Thank you guys for slamming that like button. We got 242 people watching. Thank you guys for spending your Saturday with me. We got about uh, 40 minutes left. I got one section here and then we'll just go straight into Q&A. Um, I have some stuff here from patrons. Um, so we'll go, th we'll go through this last one and then uh, that'll be it. So I think Crasher's a lot sneakier than anyone really puts together. He seems very stupid, but he is, I don't think he's, he may be ignorant. I don't think he's stupid. Like for instance, um, I think one of the big betrayals from early in the books is the murders of Jaffer Flowers and Othor. So here's the quote um, from when they find their bodies, when they eventually become whites, again, knowing that Craster and the others are allies. <clears throat> Squatting beside the dead man he had named Jaffer Flowers, Sir Jeremy grasped his head by the scalp. The hairs came out between his fingers, brittle straw. The knight cursed and shoved at the face with the heel of his hand. A great gash in the side of the corpse's neck opened like a mouth crusted with dried blood. Only a few ropes of pale tendons still attached the head to the neck. This was done with an axe. Okay. So George is telling us that um, Jaffer Flowers was killing, was killed with an axe. Okay. That's kind of weird. Um, why is that? Why do we get that detail? Well, when the Night's Watch shows back up at Crasher's Keep during the Great Ranging, what does Crasher want? Let's see here. These are, these are his demands. I could use me some wine and a new axe. Mine lost its bite. Can't have that. I got me women to protect. Okay, so uh, George is also telling us that Craster favors axes and that his has lost its bite, meaning that um, he's essentially damaged it. Well, how do you damage an axe? Well, swinging it into somebody's neck would do it. Um, uh, killing two Night's Watch Rangers or getting into a fight with them. Yeah, that seems like it would probably be the kind of thing that would dull or nick an axe to the point that you need a new one. Um, so I think it's pretty clear that Crasher was involved with the ambush of Jaffer and Othor. Um, maybe Benjen, although he hasn't showed up again. 
Um, po some possibilities, cold hands, although George seems to say no in uh, one of his notes. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty clear that uh, Craster saw Jaffer Flowers, Othor, and Benjen, and then led the others to them and then attacked, killing Jaffer Flowers himself with his axe. Um, so that's not great. How tight is the Gandalf hat? Um, it's not that tight. It's just I have a big head. Um, did he kill Benjen? I don't think so. I think Benjen got away. Um, but you never know. But then there's also obviously uh, Waymar Royce and his party that we see in the opening chapter. We learn um, during the chapters in A Clash of Kings that they stopped by Craster's Keep when they were chasing raiders. And then they stop by, they go by the fire. Craster really hates Waymar. Um, picks out that he's a Stark. Hey, cold death in the snow, killing of a rancher. Um, that whole thing. Um, they also tell Craster that they're chasing raiders. Well, then we learn that the others kill these raiders and uh, change them into whites to trap the raiders. I mean, to track trap the rangers and then they attack um dueling waymar royce and the whole thing about how they think he's Jon snow etc etc well that's another instance where the night's watch assumes that their movements are being given over to the wildlings but it's actually being given to the others the others are learning um learning about the movements of their enemies and presumably starks that are on the move in the far north um so that's 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 a, another level of what's going on with him that the wildlings and the rain and the night's watch think they're being played against each other when they're both actually being played for fools for the benefit of the others um yeah the axe thing is just kind of a minor thing but when you look back it's totally obvious it's like oh yeah that's what George is saying. Um, and again, uh, when you look back at Craster's keep, it's noted that I think that he has like some very nice chairs. He has furniture, but he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that has the skill to make these things. And then they go to White Tree Village and there's no furniture left. The entire place is cleared out. It seems like Craster essentially relies on the others as part of his whole survival technique that they go in and they clear out a village or they kill a bunch of raiders or something like that. And then Craster shows up later and essentially loots and takes whatever's left. Um, which isn't great, um, but it, it does add some some logic to exactly how he's surviving. Yeah, he's their thrall, but he also totally relies on them. He essentially goes behind their killing sprees and just takes everything. Yes, thank you, Aaron, for linking killing of a ranger. Um, Crasher's a big part of it. And actually, my interest in Craster came before that theory. Um, when I was researching Craster for these theories, trying to figure out who he is, trying to find his parents, like what the hell is he doing in the story? It was that information that then led me to the, oh, hey, he recognized Jon Snow as a Stark out of nowhere. Whoa, that's weird. Hey, he's related to the others. The others, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the things came together, but it started with Craster. <clears throat> My interest in this character who seems very, very strangely uh, put in. Um, you can kind of think of Craster's Keep. There's sort of a, yeah, let me fix those. There's sort of a trope that goes on in horror movies where, um, like, what are they? Um, like wrong turn or the hills have eyes and other kind of things where when the when the victims of the horror story to be end up exploring wherever they've been taken to they eventually like find rooms full of um full of stuff that belong to people they killed and you can kind of think of a crasher's keep like that it's essentially like he's just looted all the corpses and helped the others kill the people around him and essentially that's how he keeps his um that's how he gets stuff basically um yeah he's a hyena he's a scavenger that kind of thing um but he's also more not just a betrayer of the night's watch but um there's a lot of echoes of the character of the night king in crasher um this is not new obviously this is well-known territory 
So there's the figure known as the Night King who crowned himself king at the Night Fort and was later defeated by Bran the Breaker and King Beyond the Wall Dorman, uh, Jorman in a awesome pincer move killing him. Um, it's noted it was discovered afterwards that he had been sacrificing humans to the others. He's also known as the 13th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. He was sacrificing to the others, which indicates that the others were pre-existing and that he's not their origin of them, most likely. Um, and that after the long night, they were not defeated, which of course makes sense because we know they're not defeated because they show up in the prologue. So that just kind of goes to, if you're trying to establish like the long-term timeline, the Night King story tells us <clears throat> that the others were, were not defeated and that there may be some sort of, um, uh, some deal made between the humans and the others for their defeat. Oh, a super chat here from uh, Catherine. Um, I think that's a can <clears throat> five Canadian dollars. Google Joseph Fritzl. Yeah, um, I don't think that's the inspiration for Craster, but it's definitely a similar situation. <clears throat> Thank you. For, uh, let me drink some water. Throat's getting a little dry there. Um, but yeah, Joseph Fritzl is a good um, comparison if you're looking for like, how, how could this happen? How could it be someone as big as shit as Craster? Well, there's people in the real world like Joseph Fritzl that kept his family in his basement and stuff like that. Um, again, thank you for the super chat. Um, so I don't mean to start a whole timeline argument about which came first, the Night King or the others or the Night's Watch or whatever, but the story implies that the Night King came after the initial invasion um, and that there may be have been some sort of pact, that at least there's an understanding that there are humans who are sympathizers to the others, which we know from Craster definitely exists. Um, so I've got the quote here for the Night King. According to legend, the Night's King lived during, during the Age of Heroes not long after the wall was completed. He was a fearless warrior named the 13th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Later, he fell in love with a woman with skin as white as the moon and eyes like blue stars. He chased her and loved her, though her skin was cold as ice. And when he gave her his seed, he gave, when he gave his seed to her, he gave his soul as well. He brought her back to the Night Fort, and after the unholy union, he declared himself king and her his queen, and ruled the Night Fort as his own castle for 13 years. During the dark years of his reign, Horrific atrocities were committed, of which tales are still told in the north. It was not until Brandon the Breaker, the King of Winter, and Jorman, the King Beyond the Wall, joined forces that the Night's King was brought down and the Night's Watch freed. After his fall, when it was discovered he'd been making sacrifices to the others, all records of him was destroyed, and his very name was forbidden and forgotten. It likely, it is likely this that led the Lords of the North to forbid the Night's Watch to construct walls at their keeps, ensuring that the keeps would always be accessible from the south. Masters are skeptical of this legend, thinking that a Night's King corpse queen was possibly a daughter of the Barrow King from the Barrowlands. Um, so yeah, that's sort of the uh, the whole the whole story of Crasher. Um, if you sort of like added five thousand years to it, it sounds almost exactly the same a some random piece of shit who committed atrocities um, near the Night's Watch or is a member of the Night's Watch. Crasher is obviously a Night's Watch bastard, um, takes a corpse queen to be his wife or whatever. That could easily be somebody that was just like went along with this. You could imagine that the sons or the, the human sacrifices uh, the Night's King was making were may have been his own children in a similar way to Crasher. Um, and it's also very likely that there are hints that this whole 
the Night's Watch sacrificing to the others has been going on for a long time. So, for instance, the secret of the Night of the Black Gate underneath the Night Fort, well, that would be a very convenient way to sneak children um, from the north, north of the wall to give to the others, essentially as like a um, as like a promise. Hey, a prince that was promised, especially because we know that they're in the north. They pri they practice Prima Nocta, which is uh, the Lord's right to first night, which means um, when a couple gets married, the Lord has the right to essentially have sex with the wife first or, or she has the right to rape her, basically. Um, well, if you think about that logically, that would that would create obviously quite a lot of royal or highborn bastard children that nobody wants. So what do you do with them? Well, George has such a, a very high interest in magical or highborn blood being important. You can very easily see that perhaps the knights the the first night practice um, led to these bastards being created, which then they would give to the Night's Watch, who they would then give to the others, which the others would use to, as we see with Crasher's children, to keep their bodies going or make new bodies or something like that. I think it makes perfect sense for me um, that George essentially constructed a daisy chain of these like horrific practices that ended up with um, Crasher essentially filling in the gaps for the relationship between the Night's Watch the Northern Lords and the others that they never that they were defeated, but they essentially made a bargain. Um, and this is actually a plot. If you guys have ever read um, Memory, Sorrow and Thorn by Tad Williams, um, the idea of princes being promised to these like crazy elven creatures is um, kind of a well-known idea. And human sacrifice makes a lot of sense. Um, it makes it makes sense, but it's also a horrific sense. Like it's a history. It's a long term history of. Um, rape and kidnapping and children being sacrificed and given over to the others and all these kind of things essentially to keep the others at bay um like for instance one of the other castles is known as snowgate well that's what it used to be called um what are snows snows are bastards so a gate of the others a, a gate of bastards being given over to the others um you can imagine that they all kind of it all kind of lines up in a way that you have a a um a long-term um supply of unwanted children being given over to the others much in the same way crasher does um also this may explain partially explain why the others are attacking um, so for instance, the Night's Watch, I mean, the first night has been outlawed in the North after, uh, Alisane Targaryen, good Queen Alley came through and made some changes to their laws. Okay. So that means there's less highborn bastard to be given over. She also, um, helped the Night's Watch build new castles and essentially made it feasible to abandon the Night Fort and therefore the Black Gate. So it may be that the others are attacking because they've essentially run out of, or their, their supply of human beings babies in order to keep themselves going has dwindled. Oh, somebody's been saying that in the chat. Uh, C-Bob. Yeah, I, th I think that's I think that's possibly part of it. Another part of it probably has to do with prophecy and that um, since they are connected to the Weirwoods and et cetera, et cetera, that the two things are connected. But why they need Craster and why they're getting so much more aggressive is because they from their perspective, the humans may be breaking their pact to them. They are no longer providing them with princes. Um, also, interestingly, the Night's Watch is male only and though and males are the only ones the others want <gasps> lines up. Um, uh, and there's also obviously the Night's Watch attack at the fist, another betrayal. Um, so the Night's Watch goes to Craster's place. Um, they tell him where they're going. They go to the fist of the first men. Surprise, surprise. The others attack and try and kill them all um, again, in indicating that the others have some method of communicating with Craster. He told them where they were going. Um, and I think this kind of informs Egret's bias towards Craster beyond just what he's doing to his daughters. 
it may be that the wildlings have figured out that every time they tell crash or something, the others show up and put two and two together and like, oh shit, this guy, he's, uh, when he talks about the cold gods, he's serious. He means the others. Um, also interesting to note that, that Jon Snow was supposed to be at the Fist of the First Men, but just before it, he leaves with Corn Halfhand. Oops. The others missed again at getting Jon Snow. Um, and I think, no, Craster's obviously not done in the story. Um, his legacy still lives on, unfortunately. Um, presumably, some of his daughters escaped. Uh, they may be with the Wadlings at this point. Um, if you wanted to look for people that may be Craster's daughters, Gilly is named after a flower. So perhaps look for named women within the Wadlings who have uh, flower names or plant names. That seems to be what uh, Craster was going for. Um, I just think the connection, you guys are talking about this more, the connection between what the Undying were trying to do to Daenerys and what the others are doing to Craster's sons, those seem like the same concept. They seem to be related. So I would assume that's what's happening here, that they essentially feed on the children like vampires or something and use them to replenish themselves. Yes, Sarah, this'll perhaps one of Craster's daughters, an escaped one. We know they did escape. Um, <clears throat> and so, but like I was saying with Gilly, the, um, there's another son of Craster still out there. There's obviously Monster. Hey, Jon Snow did a baby swap. All the theories are right. There were baby swaps, except there, this one's real and it's not a proposed one to make silly tinfoil stand up. There's actually, there's a real baby swap. So Aemon uh, told Jon that he feared that Melisandre would burn Mance's child alive to sacrifice to the flames. Um, so he convinces John to do a um, a baby swap. So he swaps Monster, who's the son of Craster, for who's for Aemon Steelsong, who is the son of Mance and Dalla. So I, um, the idea of a stolen child is very prevalent in myths and legends. Um, other people I know have written um, and made theories about stolen children. Um, I don't I'm not really going to super go into it, but um, there's definitely a, th a theme there to think about with Monster and Aemon Steelsong, but particularly Monster because he's still at the wall. And in a way, if you consider Craster a king of his keep, well, then wouldn't that make his son a prince? Hey, he's a prince that was promised. Um, that would be kind of the plot from um, Memory Song and Thorn, but it's very it's very possible that the others may know that this child exists. I mean, they, they went after Sam and Gilly to go get him. Um, they may know that this child is still alive and have a connection to him. And maybe he could serve as like almost like a magical beacon that they're that they're going to try and get him. Um, Eamon Steel Song is definitely the name of a, uh, a fantasy hero, though. If uh, if a Song of Ice and Fire goes like plus 50 years, Eamon Steel Song is going to be quite a character, especially since he's the child of Mance and Dalla. Ooh, so that, that's a lot of Craster. Um, let's let's take some questions here from Patreon. And uh, we got about 20 minutes left and then we'll take some from the chat and we will call day. Oh, we got 200 likes. Oh, thank you, guys. Um, I don't know. What should I do for 200 likes? Um, throw out some suggestions in the chat, because I don't know. I only got the two hats. Um, pitch some ideas. I'll pick a good one. Uh, so we already did Amy's question. Uh, here's a question from uh, Ramona from Patreon. She said, if Craster is Maester Aemon's son, little monster has enough Targaryen blood to interest a red lady who likes sacrifices, and she doesn't need a birth certificate to assess how useful a child's blood be when she needs it, let's say, for, let's say, to resurrect Jon Snow, wouldn't that be a blow for our hero? Um, yeah, that is a very... Even if, like, I don't think that monster has to be related to the Targaryens um, for the blood magic to work. Um, but I think it's it's very possible that Melisandre will burn Shireen and then not stop there. She, maybe she'll go after Monster. Although she, I think she knows the swap has happened. I think she knows that isn't Mance's son. Um, I have no beer. I'm sorry. Although I'm going to be brewing some. 
But yeah, I think there's a very real possibility that John comes back from the dead and realizes that his life was paid for with the, the life of Shireen and Monster. Um, I think that's a good call, and I think that's a pretty horrific way for George to do it, which means he probably will because it would hurt to read. Um, sing something? Nope. <laughs> Shake it. Shoe on head. I'm, this isn't 4chan. I'm not putting a shoe on my head. Put ghosts on my shoulder. I don't think he's going to stay. Oh, maybe this is something to think about for... For next time um uh, max l says what about barrack though no one dies when he comes back yeah um he part of his soul doesn't come back and thoros essentially sort of seems like he's been drained of life over time so maybe that's um that's the kind of thing that's going to happen uh let's see your question here from eric forig what's your take on the odd behavior by the black brothers during the mutiny immediately before it was blood raven or time traveling brand manipulating them if so why no i i talked about this earlier i think their odd behavior is because they know that crashter has food because they gave it to him and all their odd behavior is john not john and sam oh no actually it's a sam sam's there it's sam not realizing that the Night's Watch has been paying off Craster, and that's why, um, that's what's going on with the mutiny. Um, although Blood Raven is watching because he tells Sam to run and to take Gillian Monster. Um, so I would, I would keep my eye on that one. Um, Blood Raven is aware of the mutiny, but I don't think he started it. I think it, I think it more has to do with the, um, with the food that they know Craster has, which they likely gave him. Um, another question from Eric Forick. Uh, with the baby swap, is Gilly's son at the wall still in danger of being taken by the others, or is he too old to be of interest to him? Um, I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, um, talking about how they may consider him a promised prince and they may still come for him. But also, uh, if we look at the, the, with the undying, we're trying to do with Daenerys, which seemed to be some kind of like draining of her life force or her magic or something like that. I don't, I don't know if there's a, an age limit on when, uh, the others stop being able to essentially like vampire the kids, but I would guess there isn't one. And I would guess that, um, yeah, a second, checking PayPal real fast. Uh, I didn't miss one, did I? No, I didn't. Okay, good. Um, I don't know if there's an age limit, but Daenerys seems to be up for grabs, basically, as far as the Undying are concerned. So I would guess that um, Monster is not out of the woods. Oh, that was weird. Um, all right, so let's grab some questions from the chat. Just uh, We got about 15 minutes left. We'll rapid fire these. Um, Bulbasaur on head. Oh my god, expand my mind. No. Uh, doing a headstand. I think you are very much overestimating my physical abilities. Um, need to find a third hat. No, I'm happy with my two hats. We'll, just, we'll think of something else. Um, uh, let's see here. Guilty Undertaker says, how much is the recent rise of the others due to the sheer volume of sacrifices Crasher is making to them? Um, that could very well could be. Um, I can, you can kind of imagine that maybe the, when they don't have bodies, the others essentially exist as menacing mists that essentially like follow around people. But the sheer, yeah, the sheer amount of suns that he's been producing and giving over may have allowed, like, maybe there was only like a handful of others at any one time that had bodies, um, perhaps given to them by the Night's Watch. But now that Crasher has essentially industrialized the sun production, it's gone through the roof. And um, yeah, that he's essentially been like rearming them. Uh, let's see here. I think that's definitely on the table though. Uh, if, if Mel knows about the swap, why doesn't she try to interfere? Um, it's a good question. Um, she may be thinking that she always has Shireen in her back pocket. Um, maybe a more powerful sacrifice than Mance, since she believes that Stannis is the prince that was promised and Azor High come again. So who needs Mance's child when you got Shireen ready to go? Uh, 
Man, that's a grim reality that she's like judging children as she sees them. It's like, what's your value as a sacrifice? Uh, how old is Craster? Um, his descriptions show him to be probably like somewhere like 40, 50, somewhere around there. Uh, heard a very dark theory that Shireen will be the POV in her own sacrifice. Um, I imagine it will be Mel, but I also have a... I have some tinfoil that would be Davos because that would be the character, it, the POV that would hurt the most to see Shireen burning from, um, or even if he comes across it afterwards. A maester's chain. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, I think I do have one somewhere. It was from an old costume. Maybe I could get like a better one. That's not a bad idea. I like that one, V-Queen. Um, although, gotta, gotta be careful on the props. Uh, Aaron says, I like the theory from Joe Buckley on Twitter this week that Shireen would be strapped to a weird, so Bran would be our perspective. That's another possibility. That was a very horrific idea from Joe. Joe, God love him. It sounds exactly horrible enough that George might do it. Always go for what would hurt the most. What would be the what would suck the worst to read? And you'll be pretty good at predicting George. Um, Laura Seven N says if if John is supposed to be the balance of ice and fire, it doesn't make sense to me that burning would be the thing to bring him back. He's not balanced if he's a fire white. Huh. Um, that's a good point. Although we don't really, the only ice magic we see is like actual whites. So I don't think he'll be reanimated by ice magic. Um, it may be that the whole song of ice and fire thing is less magical. And because like John, he's a warg, but he's not like, he's not casting spells. He's not doing anything more special than anyone else. It seems, I think the ice and fire thing is supposed to be just a marker of the person that will do it, not an indication of how magically powerful they will be. Like, um, I do like though that George included that scene in A Dance with Dragons where John has that dream where he's on the wall with a burning sword and ice armor and he's cutting down every all the whites as they come up the wall. I think that was kind of George playing with the fandom a bit where he's essentially saying like, oh, this is the kind of uh, fantasy story you want. This isn't what I'm doing, though. Um, I do wonder if that's kind of what that is, because he does do that in other places like uh he also makes fun of himself um, when he's talking about Illyrio's plan and he has the um, and it's essentially a stand in for um, his own troubles with trying to figure out where Song of Ice and Fire is going. There's also a line about how Littlefinger talks about like the problems of trying to forecast things five years in the future, which is him um, making fun of himself for the failed five year gap and why he didn't do it. <laughs> sing the reigns of Castamere. The only thing I can sing and not even well is um, Jenny's song, but maybe for another time. I do not have a good singing voice, so no. You don't really pull that at once. Um, ooh, good question here from Adhere Adherence Idra. Adhe don't know how to pronounce that one. Um, Joe, do you think Manson Craster were related? Um, it's certainly possible if a Night's Watch Ranger um is getting down with a wildling woman and Craster's from White Tree Village. I mean, like that seems like the obvious place for rangers going beyond the wall to find women to sleep with would probably be closer is more likely. So it's possible that they are um, maybe like second or third cousins or something like that. There's no other settlements nearby. So yeah, very possible. Actually, I had a theory that um, that White Tree Village is essentially a an entire village of Night's Watch bastards. I think that would make a lot of sense and probably be the kind of thing George would imagine. Like how Molestown is basically nothing but Night's Watch bastards too. Uh, yeah, good call, Guilty Undertaker. He is basically another slaver in A Song of Ice and Fire. Very, very true. Um, Aegon the Sixth. I wonder if that's how it worked during the last long night. Was there a, a uh, last version of Craster feeding the rise of the others? Well, that's basically what the Night King did. That's what we hear. The story is essentially Craster. So we can imagine that um, maybe the others were effectively defeated and there was some sort of promise to give them like just a small amount of children so that they could like keep themselves going a little bit, but not be a threat. 
And what the Night King did is essentially he rearmed them or he was trying to, and they ended up killing him before it went too far. Um, story of Stanish and Shireen could follow the story of Agamemnon. Shireen could sacrifice, Stanis could sacrifice everything, had his daughters save the army of Winterfell from the coming others. Yeah, that's the, what the show gave us. Um, George has told us, though, in um, James Hibbard's book that it will be Stannis that's ordering the burning of Shireen. So good look. Looking forward to that one, that it will not be Mel acting on her own, that st that Stannis does do it, or that at least he orders it. Um, uh, <laughs> Mallory will donate $25 by sing a line of Jenny's song. Um, I usually only sing it when I'm driving, um, and not well. I do love that song. It's also probably not a good time for it because my throat hurts, um, which I've been chugging water, um, losing my voice a little bit. Pregnant Asha as the POV. Oh, that is brutal, Nicole. Um, Shockweed, yeah, Davos comes back from Campbell. Island with Rickon just to see his princess burn. Yeah. Davos would be the one that would hurt that would be hurt the most emotionally from seeing Shireen die. So that's kind of what I'm banging on. A uh, good call, video game vision quest. There's also shadow magic, blood magic, water magic, and stone magic. Yeah, it's a regular um Avatar the Last Airbender up in there. <laughs> Pull a rabbit out of my hat. No rabbits, only turtles. I can pearl turtle around my hat. Kind of. I can take it off. That's that's kind of close, right? Um Isabella Lamanco says, does Craster's death parallel the Night's King in some way? Um, hmm. I never really thought about that, but a mutiny from uh, the Night's King's servants uh, would be interesting. Um, was there another Lord Commander at the time? Um, although the Wadlings have no no part of Craster dying, um, so that part doesn't really match up with the Pincer of Jorman and Brandon the Breaker, but um, that's something to think about. I hadn't really put that together. I, that would be an interesting thing to be expanded on, the parallels between that. Um, Jay Moray says, could the Night King been motivated by the Andal invasion? Yeah, the um, the show essentially, tell, well, not really the show. Um, the histories tell us that it was the invasion of the Andals that, um, I mean, there's different versions of it, but the one that seems the most reasonable is that the Andal invasion is kind of what pushed the children to the breaking point to create the others. Because um, we hear about how the first men came with their fire and their axes and they chopped down some weirwoods. But we hear a lot about the Andal invasion and that they specifically went after like High Heart and that they and that I mean, there was a pact between the first men and the children um, from their first war. And then the Andals show up and break all those packs. Um, I would guess that the night that the others were created in response to the Andals, especially because they were much more successful in their conquest. Um, raise your hand if you're obsessed with weirwoods. I did it, Burns. Oh, thank you for the uh, for the subscription, Surreal Reality. Um, a Dothraki POV prologue, huh? I, I think the T-Wow prologue is gonna be, uh, it has to do with Jane Westerling. I think George has said that she's gonna be in it, so it's somewhere in the Riverlands. The epilogue, yeah, that, that one's up for grabs. He seems, well, if it has to do with Jane Westerling and Lady Stoneheart, maybe the T-Wow epilogue would have something to do with, um, with that as well. There's usually a kind of symmetry to them. Although not always. Actually, no. No, they don't. The Dance of Dragons prologue is Varamir and the epilogue is Varus. There's not really a lot of connection there. Um, so yeah, I guess it could be it could be that. Um, Max L had a good question. Hang on. Uh, did I mix it? Uh, do you think the others are going to be revealed to have redeeming qualities or are they going to be utterly villainous? Um, they are utterly villainous, but um, usually George has a way of giving his villains some empathy or at least understanding so they're not just flat characters like um they may have like a legitimate bone to pick with the children of the forest and the humans they may have like good reasons for doing what they're doing 
Um, but ooh, that was a bad one for my voice. <laughs> that didn't go so good. Um, but you know, like, uh, like most villainous characters, like maybe you think about it in terms of like the Night's Watch and how they supposedly guard the realms of men, but they allow Craster to continue with his bullshit with his daughters. Um, you can believe yourself to have a noble goal and still do horrific villainous things, much like Stannis with Shireen. Um, usually villains... Well, what's the, what's the line? Vi um, villains believe themselves to be heroes of their own story. Uh, like they they will have some sort of good reason for why they're doing it. Yeah, uh, or pathos. Good call, JMRI. But um, oh, I think he'll explain it at some point. It'll make sense. Um, even if it's like something as simple as um, not wanting to die, and then the the fear of the void basically driving them to want to live forever. I mean, like a lot. Most people can understand that that death is incredibly scary. And that what would you do to avoid it? Well, if there was a magical world, maybe you go as far as them. Um, oh, uh, sorry, Rob. Uh, Jeff was trolling when he said there is an update with Winds of Winter coming out. Um, sorry, that didn't come across quite as sarcastic as it was meant to be. Um, we're not, we're not going to get Winds of Winter this year. Um, there's not enough time, even if he announced it now, for it to be published. So at the earliest, it would probably be next spring or summer or something like that, uh, whenever it's done. But George has said it's not done. So who knows? Just the endless, uh, endless wait on the watch. Yeah. Don't trust Jeff. He's always trolling when he talks about when Winds of Winter is coming out. Um, I get excited about, uh, Winds of Winter, Bernie, but I don't get excited about it coming out. Um, I'll be excited when he announces it. Until then, it's just like a fun thing to think about. Um, maybe one day we'll get it. Who knows? But yeah, never listen to Jeff. Jeff is always trolling when he's talking about Winds of Winter and George. Like, if you ever see him on Twitter and he goes like, oh, I have super secret information about like, I have sources telling me it's coming out soon. He's always making that up. He's always just messing with you guys. I'm sorry to break the um, break the magic for you. But yeah, he's always trolling. Nothing will make 2020 worth it. Guilty Undertaker. Nothing. Um, uh, let's go for any last uh, questions. Throw them at me right now. Um, otherwise, probably going to call it an afternoon. Um, so what what I have coming up, um, I, I check my work schedule if I'm working next weekend. I don't, I'm not sure if I am or not. So I'll let you guys know if there's going to be a, a stream next weekend or not. When I'm working, obviously, I don't stream because I'm at work. Um, uh, videos that are coming out soon. The Obviously, the, um, the five-year gap one and the tattered prince, who he really is. Um, the five-year gap one's basically done. Um, I, I had to rewrite the tattered prince one. I'm most of the way done with that one. So I'm going to be working on that. Um, patrons will obviously get it earlier. Um, they'll get the, um, I think at the highest levels, you can get it three days early um, when those come out. And also, um, be doing a giveaway at the same time and also launching quite a lot of stuff like the channel art, um, the new intro, uh, merchandise, all that other kind of stuff will be coming at the same time. Um, ah, good question from um, that name I can't pronounce. I'm going to call you AD. Uh, who made the horn of Jorman? Um, it's small, so I'm guessing it's the children. Uh, I'm guessing the, the Horn of Jorman was made by the children as kind of like a, um, like something that like nullifies the other's magic. That That's my theory for what the Horn of Jorman is, that it's, um, that it won't bring down the wall, but essentially it acts like you blow the horn and ice magic in the area just basically stops working. Um, was it Blood Raven's cloak 
that the stash of dragon glass and broken horn were wrapped in. Uh, could be. Um, but also we know cold hands goes around scavenging. So it was probably cold hands that left it and he could have gotten it from anywhere. It could have been Benjamins, could have been blood ravens. Um, there's a lot of dead night's watch rangers in the watch. I mean, out in the, in the North. So it doesn't have to be someone's in particular. Um, Oh, a final super chat here from, uh, Jake. He says playing a Akasha Kings mod on Warband while listening to your soothing voice talk about Song of Ice and Fire. Very chill afternoon. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Jake. Appreciate it. Very generous. Um, I have not played that mod, but I know it's pretty good. Um, I think we're going to go ahead and call it there. Um, again, thanks everybody that showed up. Slam the like button, subscribing, do all the things if you want to support me as usual. Um, I mean, there's PayPal and Super Chats. There's also Patreon. Um, mostly just um, likes and comments and subscriptions are much appreciated as uh, worthy sacrifices to the weirwood gods. Um, I'll let you guys know if I'm going to be streaming this Saturday, this coming Saturday or not. Um, I've also gotten requests that a certain um, stud of bookshelves would like to come on my channel sometime soon in the future. So probably be planning that one out. So get old Michael back on at some point. So um, I'm glad that this stream wasn't quite as bad as it could have been. Like the Veramir one was like truly heartbreaking and the Craster is too. But I, I think um, I think there's a lot more interesting things about Craster that don't have to do in particular with his with his horrific crimes, like his positioning and his connections to them, to the legends and what's going on with him and the others. That stuff's, I think, um, more interesting. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. I will see you sometime soon. Bye.